Hello and welcome to Analyze This, the self-help podcast that just can't help itself. I am one of two Hannahs, Hannah Hart, and today I will be joined by another H-favoring name as we talk to Hugo Soto Martinez about his journey as a, a, a simple individual, as a member of society, as a citizen, into someone who is making change where he sees it needed most. I'm just so excited. Let's talk to you, though. Let's go. Enjoy. Hugo, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you so much for having me here. Love the energy. Love the vibes. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I I get really, really, really nervous every time I go to interview someone. And so uh, I, it's like that nervous, excited energy, you know, so I can't help but like I have to move my hands around a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I try and dance in place. Yeah, I love it. Love it. Have you always been like a, a pretty prone to public speaking? You always felt, or do you feel nervous in front of people or groups oh. or how's your vibe? Oh, you know, it's a, uh, in union organizing, you like, don't really play that role of public speaker. You're just kind of behind pushing people to do the public speaking. So there's been many times on this campaign that I've wanted to throw up before uh, <laughs> we're doing something, but, you know, getting over the nerves. So not, not a natural, but, you know, trying my best. Well, the good thing about being nervous uh, when it comes to public speaking is that it's a really good indicator that you're a human being, uh, <laughs> which I think I, I think it goes, I don't know. It seems sometimes I'm like, is that person even real? But you seem very real to me, sir. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah. I'm not a robot. <laughs> not a robot. Not a robot. And that's, and that's really what we need. Can you tell me, um, so our listeners are called earbuds and, uh, Earbuds, the, those of you who are listening right now, I live in the city of Los Angeles. And during my time living here, uh, my 11 years spent, 10, 11 years spent in LA, I have seen uh, the housing crisis get exponentially more dire and exponentially worse, even though I've been a part of elections that literally have voted to funnel money into uh, creating more affordable housing, et cetera, et cetera. Ugo, as a Los Angeles, as a like LA born and raised Angelino, what's been your experience in seeing this develop over the years? Wow. I mean, you know, the one thing, uh, I mean, one anecdote that I always say, right, is like my parents were street vendors in the city of Los Angeles and they were able to buy a house in the early 90s, which is crazy, right? Because now, I mean, I make more than they ever did, you know, probably in their, in the, any year and I can't even think about buying a house, even in the, you know, in the more like working class neighborhood. So, and you think, and that's just housing uh, ownership, right? But like the rental market is just the same. And I tell my mom how much I pay for rent and she's like blown away. I'm paying more in rent than she is in her mortgage. Uh, So it just goes to show you, right? The perspective and how it's changed in the last 20, 30 years. I mean, that's incredible. I, I, it is, <laughs> I'm, I'm frankly a little bit, I'm a little shocked, like to, to be able to not only um, like have raise a child, but to also be able to put enough money away for savings as a down payment for a house. And they were street vendors yep. in the 90s. Yep. I mean, that is, that is significant. Yeah. 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 I, I say that all the time. I don't even tell my mom what I pay in rent anymore. Because she's just like, 
she thinks I'm crazy. She's like, how, you know, and so I, I don't even bring it up. But yeah, it's it's exactly where it's at. That's that's. Los I mean, Angeles you'd have to move place. definitely out of the county and then definitely out of state. And you'd have to find somewhere, somewhere in America you could maybe live. But with the way things are going, I don't know if there are many places in America where their wage can match the cost of living. Uh, okay, so tell us, well, me, the royal we, more about your your journey. Now, you mentioned union activism. Is this something, I mean, I don't imagine, were your parents a part of a union? Sort of, sort of, sort of. So my mom, so when I was, uh, my parents were street vendors, but my dad got hurt when he was 14 years old. My mom was working two or three jobs, found a job at a, at a union workplace where she's still now. She's a, she's a janitor at the airport. But I wouldn't say it was like ingrained in, in our sort of culture. Um, and so um, I knew they were good. Yeah, I know, and- I know some people, there's a lot of like mixed viewpoints on, on, on the rise of the union and, and union, union organization in America. Yeah, yeah. And it's, I mean, it's, not my viewpoint. <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, yeah. It's it's a uh, you know. I was like when I was young, it was like unions were not something people talked about. It seems like now everyone's talking about it. Um, but yeah, I I got involved because I became a working student. Uh, I worked at a hotel, and then literally, literally six weeks before my graduation, uh, I'm like running food in the in the restaurant. My coworker comes up to me and says, "We're trying to organize the union." And so I, I dropped everything. I dropped my job interviews, my going to take my law school admissions test. And then we won the union. We got wages and health insurance. And we beat this big, powerful private equity company. And ever since then, I was like, this is it. This is what I want to do. This is, this is how we change people's lives. And so that's my introduction. Even though my mom wow. was a union member, it never really moved me to become a union guy until I won my workplace. Uh, so right. yeah, that's how I got involved. Can we can we pause there and talk a little bit about that dropping everything? So you mentioned law school. You mentioned, you know, what was the idea that you had for your future versus the moment you pivoted or decided that you wanted to serve a different purpose? Yeah, you know, it's it's um I, I went to UC Irvine. I know you went to, to the UC system too. You went to Berkeley. Yeah. Um, California. <laughs> wow. If only we could afford to live here. Uh, wow. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I, but I still have a lot of state pride. Don't get me wrong. Oh Don't yeah, for sure, for sure. And a lot of Los Angeles pride. I, right. I my That's wife right. my wife is 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 also born and raised here. And so she uh, I'm from the Bay Area. And so oh, she okay, made okay. it very clear at the beginning <laughs> of our relationship that we were now people who were in Los Angeles and love and support Los Angeles. That's right. That's right. I, I hope you're not a Giants fan. That's all I can say. Oh, I couldn't. I couldn't be. I couldn't be. I couldn't be. Thank God. You know. And now that the LA's got a football team, like we're good. We we you know it's a we got our Lake Show going on. Uh, we we've been to more Dodgers game than I, than I have any other kind of sport. Um, we have Dodgers everything. I mean, I'm, I'm now really emotionally attached to the sports journey of the Dodgers. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Even, you know, but even though Dodger stadium, it's a complicated place here. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's, it's incredibly complicated. I mean, even Dodger stadium has its own history, you know, of displacement and, you know, learning about, uh, all the displacement and learning, getting educated on, what happened to Dodger Stadium, but also still rooting for the Dodgers. Yeah. That's just yeah. the way it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Life is full of full of contradictions, you know. Yeah, Ella says her aunt lived uh second base. Is that that's what they that's what they've they're like. Or oh, wow. like that's where she grew up, but they're a lot older 
um, her mom's the youngest in her long line of siblings kind of thing. Oh, wow. Wow. That's interesting. That's interesting. Yeah. Anyway, sorry, sorry, sorry. It's neither here nor there. But tell me about that pivot, you know? Here yeah. you are. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so I don't know if this was your experience, Hannah, but like when I, I went to school in Watts in South Central and, you know, it's not a poverty. It was not my experience. Yeah, but 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 certainly at, at UC Irvine, you know, they tell you you're the smartest, you're the best in the country, you're the best in the state, you know, you're the best. I don't know if that was your experience. Like sort of they put this thing in your head, right? And so, you know, I, I, I entered college with like wanting to go back to high school and, and, and teach, you know. But when I when I was leaving, I was like, you know, I'm just going to go to law school. I'm going to do, I'm going to try to make money, help my parents get out of poverty. And so I sort of saw my view, uh, my role as like being like the the sacrificial lamb, you know, like mm-hmm. help my mom and dad and my brothers and sisters. I have five, I have four younger brothers and sisters. And, you know, I'm like doing job interviews, getting my resume ready. Um, I was in, I, I put down a thousand dollars for this ridiculous prep course, you know, so I can teach you how to take the LSAT. And, uh, you know, like, it all changed when that my coworker came to me and said, you know, we want to organize a union. And so I, I knew that I was going to be fine. I was like, I got my, I'm going to get my degrees pretty soon. And, you know, yeah, the interviews can be on delay, but I kept thinking about the housekeepers who many times work off of their break and then uh, work for free and you know skip their lunch. And I was like, we need to change the system because it had become very corporatized. You know, they didn't care. Mm-hmm. I experienced like a, um, like a sort of a mental breakdown at work uh, once. Like I was trying to juggle school and work and because of the pressure and, and the workload, I, I remember walking and like wanting to quit. Like not because it was a powerful thing, right? Because they had just pummeled me into into depression yeah. and anxiety. And so Self, I was like- we, it, It's self-preservation, not like, you know, and that's kind of like the barest last straw, right? It's not like, oh, I'm so empowered. I'm going to quit my job. Yay, hurrah. Let's all go out and celebrate me quitting. It's, it's oh my God, if I have to choose between my life and this job, I need to find a different way. Exactly. It was, oh, it's it was, heartbreaking. It, it, it was yeah. Exactly. So I, and so I knew that we needed to change the system. And so I was like, forget all this other stuff. You know, let's just change it and and, and let's just win. And, and that ended up happening, right? And so- it was just, um, it was certainly the right decision. It put my life in a completely different trajectory. Uh, and I've been doing it for the last 15 and a half years. <laughs> so, 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 wow. Uh, so, yeah. so you must like it a little bit. <laughs> yeah, just just a little. You know, I'm empowering people, changing their lives, you know, beating You know, there's something people. deeply fulfilling yeah. about aligning your values with your purpose with your work. <laughs> and you're like, sure, it's not like the biggest paycheck, if yeah. any at all but you know it's uh, yeah, but at least yeah, you get yeah. to you know at the end of the day know that you are you have been present in your life in this moment of history and in time and i think that that's is such right. that's such a gift we can give ourselves yes you know? that is by, very by, correct. by being activated right that's right, um, that's right now uh real quick i've stayed in a lot of hotels and i know we're gonna get to the we're gonna get to the meet and we're gonna take a break pretty soon but i gotta ask you some stuff about hospitality in oh. the hotel industry ask away ask away. I'll, I'll dare all their dirty laundry i'll put it out there oh i uh, okay so i read this book I, I really hated the narrator but it's called heads and beds but i found the the, the author i was like i hated the way he talked about customers but he was dropping all these tips he was a hotel manager not tips but just like realities and what I one of the things I found that was so shocking was that 
the boutique hotel versus the corporate hotel versus the luxury hotel, you know, a $150 room, an $80 room, a $500 room, they all cost about the same to flip each day, like to get ready for the next yep. person. Yep. Yep. Absolutely true. Uh, absolutely true. It, it's uh, a housekeeper is, they make the same amount of money. Uh, if it's union no or non union. Which is which is so wild because you think if that if they're making a profit right like let's say it costs like like I really thought that the that there was some sort of wage compensation for the profit margin, but now I don't even know why I ever thought that really. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's like just to give you a comparison, the Miami is some of the highest room rates in the country, but they're also the cheapest wages in the country. Uh, wow. And so, and so it's just, it's just, they're just robbing people blind, uh, you know. It's, so what it's, kind of protections then does the, does the union provide for hotel workers? Yeah. So in comparison, in a non-union workplace, sometimes housekeepers clean them between 30 and 35 rooms in an eight hour workday, which is insane. So think about, they spend about 15 minutes per room. So when they clean your room, they work for, for 15 minutes. Oh my in, God. A, in a, in a union workplace, um, they clean between 10 and 14 and they get reductions when it's like, if they have a lot of checkouts that certain day, then they get a room reduction. If they go to two different floors, they get another room reduction. Housekeepers usually are fighting for uh, uh, healthy workloads. That's the thing that they yeah. always fight for the most. And so, and so that is one of the biggest things. There's less injuries, um, less working through your breaks. People have, you know, can take your lunch, you know, things like mm -hmm. that. So those are the big people can. Uh, get a glass of water. I mean, I think we really take for granted um, what goes into what the service industry, quote, the quote unquote service industry provides. I mean, it is, how do I put this? If you don't tell someone somebody's cleaning 30 different rooms in a day, people like won't think about it. Yep. You know? Yep. And that is, and including the people who are creating the schedule, which is why I think it's so important to have advocacy or have people in power saying like, I know the system, I read this, where's the contract, let's do this. And to get that trust of the people on the labor side, which is also really hard, right? I mean, have you had people push back against you when you've been trying to help them? Oh my God. You know, it's, it's, I could, I could write a book about this, but it, it's like, we have a joke in the union. We say that the workers with the least amount of issues are always the non-union workers because when you um, and it's kind yeah. of ironic because it's almost like a Stockholm syndrome. It's like you go and you're yeah. like, so tell me about your work. They're like, oh, everything's fine. So, so, so it's also great. Are you wearing a wire? Like, yeah, why are you yeah, even yeah. asking me? I love my job. I love my job. Yeah, it's it's like, but I get it because I was I was in that environment. It's like you think about self-preservation. What do you have to do? When you, it's like trauma. It's like abuse. What do you do? What do people do? They block it out. They push it away, out of sight, out of mind, because you have to live. And so, the the recognition of the of what's actually happening to them it's 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 not obvious to people. And so, it is it is wild. Like the psychology of a non union worker. I've never obviously I'm not a psychology major, but I'd be it would be it would be very interesting to look at that because yeah, they're the happiest, they're the happiest, yeah. but also the most abused. But when you when you take that um, you unveil that for them and connect the dots, they're just they're ready to flip that hotel upside down. Yeah. Uh, I mean, to say that, you know, here you are entitled to a lunch break. You should yes. be able to have a an achievable workload, yes. an achievable workload and a, a reasonable even. Um, yes. It's 
it's interesting, you know, to hear you kind of share that 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 Stockholm syndrome esque idea because I think what people don't, or maybe what I hope to illuminate, you know, kind of by looking at things through a mental health lens, mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. that unifying aspect of what, unfortunately, abuse, trauma, et cetera, what that all provides. I yes. mean, one of the reasons, yeah, what, like I feel like if you have been through something, you are better equipped to help have empathy and compassion and sympathy and understanding for another person's needs, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. It's that, is that, that, that link, you know? Because who wouldn't, who doesn't know what it's like to be so scared you just automatically lie before you even know? You're like, mm-hmm. yeah, okay, yes. Thank you. What was the question? <laughs> you know. Yeah, no, it's it's true. It's true. And and most of the most of the folks that work at my union come from the industry, such as myself. And so we we that empathy, that understanding, that that the road, right? The road you have to travel to sort of find your own voice. I think that's why our union is uniquely different than most other unions. You know, uh, we hire from our own rank and file, and so that connection is like absolutely key to organizing. So I that's agree wonderful. With that. Local, 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 community serving community. I think that that is so crucial if we're going to, I don't know, have a chance or hope at all. Speaking of a chance or hope at all, when we get back from this break, we're going to jump from talking about hotels and hospitality into talking about housing and (laughs) houselessness. How fun for us. (laughs) We'll be right back. Hello. Do you consider yourself a patron of the arts? Do you want to keep art alive and living as society collapses? You know, they say that's the last sign of societal collapse is the death of art. Anyway, speaking of art, you can support art directly by becoming a patron. And we have a convenient online system to help you do it. It's patreon.com slash this. There are some delightful perks there, including never-before-heard affirmations spoken by yours truly, and um, you know, also like coffee mugs, if that's your jam. Either way, check it out at patreon.com slash Hanalyze This if you would like to become a patron of this podcast for as little as $5 a month. $5 a month. Would you buy me one cup of coffee? That would be great. It would be an exceptional cup of coffee, more like a latte, probably a cappuccino. But thank you for it. It keeps me going. And I hope that with that energy, I can help keep you going too. So head over to patreon.com slash Hanalyze This. That's H-A-N-N-A-H. L-Y-Z-E-T-H-I-S. Patreon.com slash Hanalyze This. Now let's get back to the episode. And we're back. Now, Ugo, I know about you because you're currently campaigning to become the council member for District 13, which is uh, massive, a huge district, and the district I live in. So uh, tell me, so first of all, congratulations on making it onto the ballot. I know that you've been working with a, a great team of volunteers and organizers and getting on the ballot itself is a huge, huge achievement. So, uh, okay. Now, our uh, odds are some people listening have never done anything in terms of going from citizen to public servant, etc. So let's like really like break it down, slow it down and talk about when you decided to start to run, to pick a position? I mean, what, 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 what are you thinking? Like, walk me through it, you yeah, know? Why this yeah. position? Yeah. 
You know, that's a great question. So I, as part of my job, um, I've done a lot of national stuff, national victories around the country. And so the last one I did was in Georgia. Uh, you know, if you recall, if your viewers recall, right, um, we were trying to tie the Senate, right? And we didn't know Georgia was going to be in play. And then it ended up being that nobody got uh, 50%, right? 50% plus one. And so now we could, we had an opportunity to win both Senate seats in Georgia. And so we had left Arizona and we heard that Stacey Abrams wanted, you know, she needed support and she was asking for us to go. And so we, we sent the entire field team from Arizona to Georgia to walk in uh, Lithonia, Georgia, which is a, a suburb or a town, sorry, west, uh, uh, east of Atlanta. So we're in there, we're canvassing, we worked through Christmas and through New Year's because I think the primary was like January 4th or January 5th or something like that. Sorry, the general, the general election. And then we won both seats. Historic victory. Amazing. We won. We tied the Senate. Mitch McConnell is going to go down. He's not going to be able to do these things. You know, it was just like people were crying and happy. And then you come back to Los Angeles and you see the homeless community. You see the housing increases. And then that later, you know, a, a few weeks later, right? Um, Echo Park Lake. Oh. Right, uh, Mitchell, 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 another Mitch, right? Uh, similar another Mitch. Mitch. Now, <laughs> now we, now this is okay. So for our listeners, we're they're a national and sometimes international audience. So let me tell you that the story that what you're about to hear might uh, be a little bit of like a content warning, but this is the reality. Um, you could even look up me tweeting about it on Twitter uh, because I live right there. But I just wanted to take a second and. Uh, Give everybody a heads up that we're going to enter into this territory, like on the real, real. Also, Ugo, what organization were you with? You, I heard you saying we, 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 you know, in Georgia. Uh, I'm not sure. Yeah. yeah. What's the yeah, name I, of that I organization? Was, uh, I was with the Hotel Workers Union. Uh, the union's called Unite Here uh, International Union. Yeah. Unite Here International Hotel Workers Union. If you're a hotel worker and this is your first time <laughs> hearing these words, check them out, baby. <laughs> Okay, so you go, you come off this victory, this riding this high in 2020, right? Right? It was 2020. Uh -huh. No, 2021. 2021. Yeah. 2021, right? And you come home to Los Angeles, wherein we have a very large displaced community of unhoused people who have now taken up residence on um, this, this section of the lake or alongside the lake. Uh, and now that's been growing steadily over the years. I used to live right next to Echo Park Lake. Um, across Temple Street, and it was maybe a handful of tents. But then in 2021, after just the, the tragedy of the pandemic, the our housing bill not passing enough, not building enough, which I hope you can speak to, you know, obviously far more eloquently than I, but there was like, I would say like 150 people living, living roughly, there. Roughly, yeah. Yeah. And there are services nearby. I know that there's another, like a center, there's some resources nearby. And so it's not, and it's a lake and it's, and it's nice. And there was cohabitation, I suppose, happening. Now I'm from the Bay Area. So I've seen this happen in Golden Gate Park, et cetera, et cetera. But what I have never in my life seen happen is how the city handled it. Yeah. 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 And it, it was, um, you know, I, I've, I've grown up in the city my whole life, and I have never been so angry about what happened, right? Because because what ended up happening for the folks that, you know, and this made national news, right? But there was about 100, 150 people living there. And uh, the council member of this area, which has almost complete power of how we interact with the unhoused community, 
decided to pressure them and, and, and push them to take uh, temporary housing. And a lot of them took the temporary housing in the moment, right? And so under, I would say, under the threat of coercion and arrest, right, people, of course, will take, you know, the lesser of two options, right? The lesser evil of two options. But what was left was about, I think, between 10 and 15 unhoused people who said, no, this is a space that we have the right to, right? It's a public park we have the right to. And some people exercising their First Amendment rights, you know, which we supposed to value in this country, right? And the council member decided to bring hundreds of police officers and led this just brutal crackdown on those folks that were exercising their First Amendment right and arrested every single one of them. And in the process, uh, our estimates that I'm hearing is arrested almost about 20 different journalists. Uh, a person had their arm broken. And when you talk to the people who live around the neighborhood, they were like, the police were just raging. They're like, anybody that walked down the street, they were getting accosted or arrested. It was like the, the largest. And, and this, by the way, is less than a year after the murder of George Floyd, right? When we talked about how police interact with normal citizens in the, in the form of protest. And so, I mean, I, I just want to. I, I just want to really highlight this for our listeners. So I don't know it makes you it might make you uncomfortable, but in our un, in our discomfort, we can find the strength to find change. I really want you to to take a moment and consider that American police officers not only were arresting journalists, but also had injured journalists. Okay, so everybody's so hot for Russia right now, talking like, ah, oh, Russia, this, so bad, so bad. And it's like, have we talked about the city of Los Angeles? Like, do you guys want to talk about this? And it was like a military-esque, I mean, I was I like, I, I was not there. I was not at the park, but uh, it was like, I mean, so many helicopters, which are so expensive, so expensive, so many helicopters and just like, it was like this like military fantasy, just rows and rows of police. And these are places that, as a person who lives in this area, I felt perfectly comfortable walking by to get coffee or going and doing this and going and doing that. Like people have the right to say the temporary housing isn't enough. The restrictions are too high. This is I, I don't feel safe or this and that. Like there's lots of reasonable complaints people can have about uh, what has been offered. And if the solutions aren't working, it's because the solutions aren't broad enough. They're not dense enough. They're not working for all the citizens. It's not that the citizen isn't working for the solution. You know? Yeah, that that's right. And, you know, and, and the, it's like, you know, we don't have our own mental health our systems. Our mental health systems are not funded. A big part of folks are, are experiencing mental health issues. The way we interact with folks, the mental, I mean, the largest mental health facility in the county of Los Angeles is LA Men's Central Jail. There's estimates that's over 8,000 people who are incarcerated because of mental health reasons. And so, you know, when this happened, and the thing that really angered me the most is after this happened, the council member had his field staff go to different neighborhood councils. At the time, I was serving on the Los Feliz Neighborhood Council, and his field deputy came and gave this wonderful report about everything he had done was correct and everything that the media was saying was wrong. And he went on for about 13 Red flag, minutes. red flag, red yes. flag. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so he came in and said fake news? I mean, basically, oh, you're hearing these reports. That's not true. We, did, I, I, we were just all listening to this and we're like, you know, as soon as he finished, I, I raised my hand. And I was like, 
and I felt sorry for the guy because, you know, he's just the messenger, right? I was like, but I was like, regardless of what you're spinning, it, this was a failure, right? This was yeah. a failure of being able to, to work with opposing groups and find a solution. And you decide, and they decided it was like this military exercise, right? Uh, yeah. of, of dealing with people. And it was so, a real show of it was a real show of strength, and you can look up if you're if you're interested in looking up images, you know uh, that's your own own choice. But you know, I, let's say the full body shields and mm-hmm. riot gear and just full on um, readying themselves for war. And I would I have to say that if I was someone who was in need, and an aggressor came towards me, I couldn't tell you I was gonna feel safer. <laughs> You know, I, I, you know, and it's, I, I just think that like to take the minute, if you haven't ever experienced anything like this in your life, if you've never had interactions with police and just a little bit about my background, you go, is that I've known about cops since I was a little kid. We had cops come to our house, you know, um, and my mom actually experienced a, a period of homelessness, uh, mm. in our lifetime. And if I mm. wasn't, if I wasn't who I am, white, educated and, eventually coming into some public figure status, um, she would be lost, you know, yeah. she, she would be lost. And, yeah. and so if you've, if you've never experienced anything like that, I, I really think it's important to truly humanize other people. Like if you've ever felt depression, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. If you've ever felt anxiety, imagine that that has such a control on your life that it, it, root, it leaves you without any options and you enter into homelessness. Now, there are a lot of people who don't suffer mental health issues who found themselves in housing crisis. Um, can you speak to that a little bit, like about the path to becoming unhoused um, in general? Yeah. I mean, you know, I've had to learn a lot of this stuff. I'm going to throw this wild stat that I learned talking to this. Uh, oh, yeah. Give me some numbers. <laughs> Let's make an infographic. I'm excited. Okay. Hit me, hit me with that yeah. stat. Okay, so so previous to the so right now there's a there's an eviction moratorium, which for the most part is is being somewhat effective, right? But that's going to leave that that eviction moratorium is going to go away, and now people who are backed up on rent are gonna are gonna be able to be evicted, right? But on any given month previous to this eviction moratorium, ten to twenty thousand people were becoming homeless every month. Now that's which is an, an astronomical amount. Now a lot like of them, here, like here in, 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 in America in, or in, in, in LA, in, in, in LA County. Now, oh most, my god! So so yeah, so ten to twenty thousand every month. Now a lot of those folks find shelter, right? They go to the friend, they go to the family. They're like, help me! I'm I'm I, I don't have a house. But fifteen percent of them don't, and those are the folks that end up in the street, and so. And and so this number of folks, it's 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 like the it's a tip of the iceberg. What we see, it is just the tip of a broader systemic uh, problem in society, and that's low wages, expensive rent, lack of mental health uh, um, services, uh, drug addiction services. All these things is is why we have the situation. When I found out that stat. How I was skeptical. I was like, "How is it ten thousand? I have left at- my body. I'm just like, yes. oh, I am. I am. I'm so that is shocking. Wow, and, and so, that is so, absolutely shocking. And yeah. this is uh, people experiencing houselessness for the first, experiencing being homeless, being unhoused for the first time. That's right. And that starts a little bit of a rotating door 
in terms of where society starts to think of you. Exactly. Exactly. And so it's it's just and who are these folks? These are working class people. I, I mean, and and you know, in in and they did a study in Los Angeles, 15% of the grocery workers experience homelessness at one point in time in the last year. And over 80% of them, this is the irony of this study. Over 80% of the essential workers that grow that work in the grocery stores, 80% of them are food insecure based on federal standards. Think about it. You're working in a grocery store and 80% of those workers are food insecure. I mean, it it is, it is, it is, it is, it is is shocking. So let's get rid of some, um, some, some, what's the term when you, you think of something and you assume it's true, but it's not whatever falsehoods. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like (laughs) these are people. So in, in this percentage, there are people who have work, are employed in some, to some extent, but cannot afford to live anywhere and then can't afford to eat. And then you become in a crisis point and it's a real like um, it's a tipping point because once you fall beneath that, the, the re-entry gets even harder. It's like re-entry back into, into society, but also with wages not increasing at the rate that the property and everything is increasing, there's not really like another solution, which is why all this stuff is so interwoven, which is why it's so important that we have people with proper, I guess, intentions serving public office. You know, I, I have to say that like, I know that lots of people like, uh, people just support whoever they see as like, oh, a Democrat, I'm sure that's enough. Or, oh, well, they're they're a queer person, they're LGBT, so maybe that's fine. Or, oh, like, well, if they're a person of color, maybe that's enough. But you really have to look at who someone is if you're going to vote for them. And that is the least you can do, is get to know the person you're voting for, even from a distance, start to observe them a little. And so now I've gotten to know our council member pretty intimately from having watched his actions. Yeah. Uh, and okay, well, now we're going to talk about the positive part, which is the tipping point for you personally deciding to run for office. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so after Echo Park Lake, I was like... You know, I've been to Arizona when we got rid of Sheriff Joe Arpaio. Uh, you know, I was there in 2020 when we flipped and got rid of, uh, you know, the Republicans and Arizona and in Georgia. And like, I've done all these things. I'm like, but those elements, those hateful elements, those elements that lack compassion and empathy, I was like, they exist in Los Angeles. They're right here. Right. And, and so and so I'm like, we need, and I was like, and so I was like, can we put together a team? You know, I have my experience working in the union, our experience doing this political campaigns. I was like, can we come and put together a coalition to, to get rid of those elements? And and that's why I decided to run. I mean, ultimately, I was it was funny because we were putting together the thought of running. And then I found myself in a situation where there was literally a team of people saying, do it. Wait, wait, wait. Wow. Wait, just, when you say we were putting together, I'm picturing like, you know, your mom and your siblings you're oh, yeah. being like, yeah, go for it. Like, what, what, so was it your, was it the people that you'd work with in the union? Like, or for, you know, like, you know, and how did, how is it you? Like, how did, is it like, 
you guys spin a bottle and you're like, okay, <laughs> one of us should really try. Like, tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah. So it was, um, it was my union. My union and I were talking about that. Uh, I'm very active in DSA Los Angeles uh, here in the city. Um, and the other organization called Ground Game, which done, they've done a lot of electoral work. And so I, I was I talking to those three groups and I said, yeah, I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking about it. And they were like, you should do it. You would be a great candidate. You have the history. You have the, you know, the, the experience. And then at some point, um, there was another team that, that was formed after Nithya Raman, which is another candidate that, that won sort of a, just a, a normal working class person. I didn't know this, but they, after Nithya won, they were looking for a candidate to run. And mm. so and then so I interviewed with them and then they basically said, hey, we got this team. And then plus the team that I had formed to think about it. And so now it was like this pretty big oh, wow. coalition of people and then i was like oh my god like this is actually real <laughs> like, oh my god i'm like nervous for you right now yeah, i mean yeah, listen yeah. you just made out you're really running i canvassed for you on sunday so like <laughs> it is all real but now that i've gotten to know you a little bit personally i'm like oh my god is he gonna do it are you gonna do it especially now you've got the support you've got the tools you've got the resources i mean that's kind of the hands of fate right like sometimes the yeah. doors just start unlocking right before you and if you're if you're brave enough to walk the path yeah. Like, I think that's what happened, man. I think you got yeah. plucked. I think that you were yeah. put on the path and you said, you're like, I could walk it. And then, you yeah. know, the powers that be were like, ah, good. Yeah. That's a, that's a beautiful way to describe it. That's how it felt. And then, and, and, and so I, I kept thinking about it. I was like, I hadn't made a decision. And then I thought about how I interact with housekeepers when I, when I'm interacting with housekeepers for them to take leadership and to go against mm -hmm. these powerful companies. It, it, the only thing that holds them back is fear. And so I, I found myself on the other foot. I was like, oh, damn, like, why am I not doing this? The whole team is there. People, I was like, I'm afraid. And I was like, I would never, I would never tell a housekeeper to act from a place of fear. And so I was like, we got to walk the path. And, 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 and so, yeah, that's ultimately how we decided. Wow. And so that brings you to where... Uh, where you are today. We're going to take one more quick break. And when we get back, uh, we'll talk a little bit about action steps and ways others can get involved. Be right back. Hello, earbuds. It's me, Hannah Hart. And today I want to talk to you about a product I'm very excited about and love deeply. What is it? Why, it's myself. It's me, Hannah. Did you know I have a store? Did you know that if you go to hannahart.com, you can order yourself anything you want from there? We've got so many wonderful objects, including vintage objects from over a decade ago and new products that you haven't yet seen but are available here today. So if you want to get yourself a little treat, get yourself a little present, or buy something with my signature on it or a love note from me to you, go ahead and head to hannahart.com, click on the shop, and shop around. Okay, let's get back to the episode. And we're back talking with Hugo Sorto Martinez about the wonderful, wonderful things we can do to somehow have a better life here all together. You know, you mentioned something that I actually, I really, really care about, which is, is and I just, I love bringing it up. Every time I hear it, I want to bring it up again and again. But it's faith over fear, you know? Mm -hmm. It's if you are making choices from a place of fear, motivated by fear, choices that are self-protective, you know, those that will just walk you in a, in a fear-based direction. And those, those prophecies will become true. And so I personally feel 
so honored to to hear you acknowledge the presence of fear mm. and choose faith over it. So so thank you for that. Mm. Cuz it's hard to have faith. I mean, how could things ever possibly be better? I see so many luxury apartment buildings going up and right in front of them unhoused people. You know? Yeah, every single day. That's that's Los Angeles. Every That's single Los day. Angeles. So I'm just like, well, can we put unhoused people into that empty building right there? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in, in, in fact, that's like uh, that's a big part of our platform. I mean, like if if you know, a lot of folks don't know this, but like if you add up all the different beds that we have in the city, and not all beds are created equal. Some are shelter beds, some are congregates, some are like tiny homes, some are camping sites. Anyways, if you add them all up, we only have beds for 39 percent of the unhoused community in Los Angeles. So. <laughs> well, then now these are beds specifically for the unhoused community in Los That's Angeles. Right. That's right. That's and right. we are at 39%. Could you imagine if that was a profit margin? Could you imagine if we were a corporation? We'd all be <laughs> fired. Are you kidding me? 39%? Less than half of the su- the demand is greater yep. than the supply? Oh yep. my god. Yeah, yep. And, and it's and it's not even it's not even the kind of housing people need, right? And and so anyway, so but but because I'm from the hotel workers union, I'll tell you that I know of at least three, three hotels in the city of Los Angeles that have been empty for the last two years. These were hotels that closed during COVID and have not reopened. And um, folks know, right, this is, a, this is a national phenomenon. A lot of people are not working from home, right? They're telecommuting instead of going into the office. And so there's a bunch of office space. There's a bunch of retail space that's empty. It's empty. And so I don't think it's a lack of, of space that we have. It's a lack of willpower. Uh, it's mm. just council members are just not, and they have the legal authority to take over many of those spaces. The mayor has it, the city council has it, but they're just choosing not to. And so we could house many, 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 many people if we literally just grab those properties and use them for the public good. And so, yeah. uh, and so it's, just, it's, just, it's just literally a lack of willpower at this point. Yeah. I mean, even to set up, you know, uh, something that I've encountered in, in my time of advocacy is uh, people have this fantasy of the 100% solution. Like, well, if it's not a solution that will work 100%, it's not even worth trying. And so hearing that we only have enough beds for 39% of the unhoused population, I'm like, I think we can do better than 39%. Why don't we try a different solution and try and get to 60 but people really balk at trying new things because they're like, well, where's the guarantee? I was like, well, you know what we know 100% of for sure right now is that it's not working. It's that it's getting worse. So let's just try something. Let's try anything at all. you know. And, it, and if those systems are in place, we can start to kind of turn the dial and make incremental changes to make things better. And I, and I am just so grateful to you for putting yourself out there. And for standing up and rising to the occasion, because I think so many people are overwhelmed and, and don't even know where to start. You know, do you have any thoughts or tips? Do you have any tips and tricks for anyone <laughs> who wants to get involved in some way or another? <laughs> yeah, I, I think that, you know, I would I would recommend the the path that I chose on this. Right. Uh, about five years ago, I, I, I started seeing the encampments and I said, how can I help? How can I do something? And so I went to this uh, organization, and it's called SILA. It's, uh, it's an acronym. It's for Silver Lake Echo Park, Los Feliz, Atwater, and Hollywood. It's a wonderful nonprofit. 
And I said, I'm just going to go donate some of my time. And I'll tell you that it was, uh, my mind was blown when I went there because I had an image of what an unhoused person looked like. And it's true, you know, you, you interact with the encampments and that's sort of a lot of people's interaction with homelessness. But I went there and I was like, that person's, that person's not homeless. Like that person's not homeless. That person's not homeless. And they and were like, if you're sleeping in your car. Yes. You're homeless. Exactly. <laughs> that, that was my path to it. And they're like, no, I, she lives in her car. Like, she lives in a, in a tent. She works. She has a job. I was like, and so it, 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 it made it so much more empathetic, much more compassionate approach to it. And it humanized the individual. And, and not only that, but I was surrounded by folks who were also volunteering, who like wanted to, you know, you, you can curse the darkness or you can light a candle, right? And folks decided to to do something about the, the, the thing that they were upset about in a positive, loving way. And so yeah. I found that community, they're still very good, right? My very good friends. And uh, and so there's there's ways to do things, you know, but I, I always yeah. lead, lead with this sort of, lead with love, as I was saying. Lead with love. And it's so true. I mean, so many people who end up... Uh, experience housing insecurity are also people who are escaping domestic violence or, um, or even people that have like in my family, I remember the day my mom asked me if she could sleep in my car and Mm. she was like, I need, just let me live in your car. Mm. And I was like, I have three jobs. I have, I have this car for work. I can't let you live in my car. Mm. And it was just, well, you know, and at the time she was unmedicated and it wasn't really safe for anyone. Um, but that's, really where things started to unravel for me. And I was like, wait a minute. These people haven't failed society. Society has failed them. That's right. That's right. You know? So God bless you. I'm so (laughs) glad to meet you. I'm so glad to see you. I will do everything in my power as a community member and a citizen here. I know people are so funny. People are so funny about politics and quote unquote celebrities. They're like, keep it out of entertainment, celebrity, blah, blah, blah. I was like, actually... First and foremost, <laughs> I'm an American and we're a part of a great democratic experiment that's only a couple hundred years old. So first and foremost, I'm an American citizen and I need to be involved. I have a duty and responsibility regardless of what my job is. You know? Yeah, that, that's, that's right. I no, that, I, I agree. And, and it's affecting our everyday lives, right? Like it, the way we interact with it is, is inescapable uh, in many different policies and you know, even in par- different parts of the country, it's even more inescapable, right? The way they treat folks and women, yeah. LGBT community. It's just, you can't escape it. The the personal is political, as uh, as uh, Audre Lorde would say, right? You have to care. I, I think um, I heard Bernie Sanders say that caring about your family is caring about my family or that you have, you have to care about another's family the way you care about your own. Because eventually, if we continue to walk the path that <clears throat> it seems like we're walking as a nation... Uh, it'll get, it'll catch up with you. It'll find you. It'll find you. Um, long story short, it, let's say someone's so motivated and specifically, I want to thank you so, so much for being here. And let's say someone is as motivated as I am after having gotten to, to hear you or know you for a little bit, where can people find you? Where can people support your campaign and where can people get involved in the, you know, the Hugo, the Hugo train, <laughs> Hugo highway, or, you know, you go, Yightway. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Where can people find you? <laughs> yeah. If, if folks are, I mean, you have an international audience, um, 
you know, if, if, if you live in the United States, um, there's ways to interact. You can donate to us. We will have phone banking. You can find that at Ugo, hugo2022.com. Um, and if you're local, uh, same thing. You can go to the website. You can sign up to volunteer, door knock, phone bank, donate as well. Uh, you know, these elections are very expensive. We're not taking any corporate money, police money, fossil fuel money. We're doing really good. Uh, like Bernie Sanders, you know, we have the scale of people, but not the scale of money that is supporting us. And uh, our social medias are all on there. Uh, but it's it's uh, it's my name for CD13, H-U-G-O-F-O-R-C-D-1-3. Yeah. So go check, <laughs> go check them out uh, all across the internet. Uh, again, that's H-U-G-O-F-O-R-C-D-1-3. The CD is what? City district? Something uh, like that? Council, council di- district? Council district. Council yeah. district. You're like, yeah, I get council district. Yeah. Um, <laughs> check it out and, and so get, get involved if you so choose or check out what's going on in your local area. No matter how small, something is always more than nothing. So, uh, Ugo, thank you so much for being here. Oh, um, it's, it's been, been a- Absolute pleasure. Absolute pleasure. Just such a delight, you know, (laughs) and you go on with your ba- okay no I'm done I'm done I won't do any I won't do any more uh, if you've enjoyed listening to this podcast you can check out new episodes of Analyze This every Sunday um, but you can listen to them any day of the week as is preferred by you and if you want to find more of me you can find me on the internet uh, all across the board at Harto H-A-R-T-O or support this podcast at patreon.com slash analyze this but today's not about analyze this today is about analyze us man (laughs) i don't know well thank you thank you so much for being here and um i hope we get to talk again soon 